I was uh, jet lagged in Chicago. It's a dreadful flight from here to get across there. And I was wandering around aimlessly trying to recover from the flight as I had a day or so to do that when I felt very thirsty. And so I went into a little supermarket to buy some orange juice. That, that's all I wanted, just some orange juice. But inside, I was confronted with a whole wall of different kinds of orange juices. <laughs> there was all kinds of things there. <coughs> Excuse me, sounds like I need another one. Some were mixed with other fruits, you know, lemon or, or apple or pineapple. Some were from different kinds of oranges. Didn't know there were so many kinds of oranges that you'd make orange juice from. Some were fresh and organic. I always wonder what it would be like to drink inorganic <laughs> orange juice. Uh, others were reconstituted orange concentrate. Uh, some were from the shelf, some were in refrigeration, some required refrigeration having been opened and there I wandered up in my dazed state, up and down the aisle, up and down the aisle looking for what I wanted, my jet lag brain transfixed, overwhelmed by the affluence of America and confused, absolutely confused by the enormity of my decision reading labels into details and desperately thirsty. After about 15 minutes, I walked out of the shop carrying nothing but a headache, still without an orange juice to drink. I was so spoilt for choice that I made no decision at all. I left empty-handed. But of course, I had made a decision. That's the trouble, wasn't it? Because no decision is a decision. It was a choice I made. A choice not to buy orange juice from that shop. It was a choice, frankly, not to go into another supermarket. It was a choice to live with my thirst rather than make a mistake of get the wrong kind of orange juice. This was a stupid choice, I know, I know. But I was very jet-lagged, and without Helen with me, and jet-lagged, I can't think at all. She would have just picked one up and said, don't be silly, but, you know, that's the incapacity of the male brain. For however irrational I was, I was, con I was very conscious that choices have consequences. If I chose the wrong one, I wouldn't like it. And so I was strangely, uh, stupidly, more worried about the bad consequences of a wrong choice than I was about making a very, very simple choice that was available to me. I mean, some choices are simple, aren't they? Because the consequences are unimportant. Australian teenagers have a wonderful word for choices that don't matter. They just shrug their shoulders as they mutter, whatever. It says it all, doesn't it? Whatever. It's the way they say it. I'm too old to get the right tone, aren't I? But you, you've heard it with them. It's just that whatever word. It means it doesn't matter. I don't care. 
do what you like, whatever. And my Chicago moment was a decided whatever moment that I got wrong. Because some, some decisions do matter. They matter because they have enormous consequences. They can change the whole direction of our life. Uh, they can make us. Sometimes some of the decisions we make, they break us. They can, they can open up opportunities for us or they can close down possibilities for us as well. I mean, I can shrug my shoulders and say whatever to a choice of tea or coffee or to plain salt or chicken salt or, frankly, to orange juice. But a proposal to marry, that's not a whatever. Would you marry me? Whatever. <laughs> Doesn't work, does it? You know, it just... You haven't understood the seriousness of what has been suggested. The proposal to migrate to another country requires considerable thought and care and courage to make such a decision. And the decisions that have the greatest consequences, the ones that change your life and the course of your life here and now, as well as into eternity, they're the ones that matter. The most important choices, of course, are about death and life, about heaven and hell. And today I'm proposing, I'm proposing just such an important choice for you. I'm not proposing marriage, I've got that one sorted. Uh, I'm, I'm proposing something actually even bigger. I'm proposing that you should, each one of us, give our lives totally to, the, to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. And so I'm going to finish the sermon with, with a prayer which we've printed on the back of the sheet here. Uh, and I want you to look at it briefly now with me uh, because I don't want to surprise you at the end. You know, we're all sailing along happily and, oh, by the way, give your life away at the same time. I want you to know what I'm asking right at the beginning. So look at the proposal that's there. You see, I'm going to be praying... I'll just read it out now for you now. Uh, dear God, I know that I'm not worthy to be accepted by you. I don't deserve your gift of eternal life. I'm guilty of rebelling against you and ignoring you. I need forgiveness. Thank you for sending your son to die for me that I may be forgiven. Thank you that he rose from the dead to give me new life. And please forgive me and change me that I may live with Jesus as my ruler. Three paragraphs to it, aren't there? Three little sections. The first one all starts with the word I, 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 I. And what it's saying about ourselves is, about myself, is I need forgiveness. I have done the wrong thing. I am guilty of ignoring God. I am guilty of rebelling against God. I am guilty. I need forgiveness. If you don't know that about yourself, You're not married. You don't have any family. You don't have any brothers or sisters. Everybody else knows about us. Why don't you? We need forgiveness. 
The second paragraph is about thanking God. Thanking God for what he's done in sending Jesus to die that we might be forgiven and to rise to give us new life. We need forgiveness, we say in the first paragraph. We thank God for making forgiveness available to us in the second paragraph. We need to change and so we thank God that he's raised Jesus to give us a new life, a new start, a fresh start. The third paragraph is actually the prayer of the prayer. This is where we're actually doing the asking. And the third paragraph we pray, forgive me, I need forgiveness, Jesus died for me to be forgiven, forgive me and change me. Because there's no point being forgiven just to go back to where we were before. Forgive me and change me that I may live with Jesus as my king, my lord, my ruler, as the one who determines my life. So I'm going to be proposing that we pray this prayer at the end. But it's a serious prayer, isn't it? To actually ask that Jesus will be my ruler rather than me. It's to give my life to Jesus. Well, where are we back to here? I'm on point two. This is the last of the series. See, we've been running, as Joe mentioned, six weeks of series of which we've been coming. And this last of the series, let me quickly remind you of what has been covered, or for those who haven't been able to be here, to inform you about what you've missed in the series. The first one was there is creation. God, we see that these are the things that we said. God is the ruler of the world because he made the world and he's made everything in the world. And he's made us, humans, unlike everything else in the world, he's made us to rule his good world, to give thanks to him for life and everything that we have and to honour him. And the Bible puts it this way, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power for, because, you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. That's the fundamental first thing that was being said. The second one, there is our rebellion. This was the week I was with you last time where we all reject God as our ruler by running our own lives our own way. But by rebelling against God's way, we damage ourselves, we damage each other, and we damage God's world. The, the, the scriptures have it this way. We all, like sheep, have gone astray each of us has turned to his own way. God has made us to give thanks and honour and glory to him, but we choose to do our own thing. And in that we're rebelling against God. Thirdly, there is God's judgment. God won't let us rebel against him forever. And God's punishment for rebellion is death and judgment. So the scripture puts it this way, people are destined to die once and then after that face the judgment. 
It's not just death. It's after death where we meet the judge of all the world. Fourthly, God in his love, though, doesn't leave us in that terrible state. Because of his love, God sent his son into the world, the man Jesus Christ. Jesus, unlike us, always lived under God's rule. He didn't wander off to do his own thing. He did what God wanted him to do. But Jesus was punished with death. Not his own death, but our death. He died in our place and so took our punishment upon himself. So that verse we had, we all like sheep have gone astray and each has turned to his own way. The full verse goes on, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. But Jesus doesn't remain dead. So fifthly, we heard last week of Jesus' resurrection. God raised Jesus to life again as the ruler and judge of the world. Jesus has conquered death, but more than conquered death, he now brings forgiveness and new life and will return again in glory one day. So, a verse that reflects it is in 1 Peter chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth. There's a great new start, isn't it? New birth into a living hope. We're not just facing a meaningless death, or worse still, judgment after death. We have the living hope of eternal life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Well, there's a quick summary of the last five weeks. Right, to run through. There's a lot of material just in those five weeks, aren't there? You've been covering an enormous amount of information and getting it downloaded like that in just five five or so screens, it, it's a little bit like the sensory overload of an orange... Show. Too much information too quickly. And that's why it's been spread out over the last five weeks. If you've missed out on the sermon series or if you still having trouble following it, and I can understand that. Well, ask Joe, ask Adam, ask, ask David. Uh, I'm sure they'll be only too happy to talk with you further. I've noticed that there's a little slip here that was given to me here, which uh, is a, a name and a fill-in slip, you see, and there's opportunities here to tick a box, like I'm interested in Christianity Explored or I have questions I'd like to discuss. And I'm sure if you tick one of those that Joe or, or or David or Adam will, will get back to you and talk to you further about it. But we finally come today to the sixth, which is based on these other five. And the sixth is the choice that we have to make. And you see it in the text that I had printed up the top here under our heading, under Do Choices Matter. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. It's John chapter 3, verse 36. And we'll keep coming back to that text in the next few minutes. So, what's our present position? Well, in one sense, I don't know. I'm I'm sorry, I I don't know you well. I I presume Joe and the others do, but I don't. Uh, Mind you, you... 
mightn't have told them either what your present position is. God knows, I don't. But in another sense, I do know because we're all in the same position. <laughs> We've all been raised in rebellion, born and raised in the rebellion against God. Uh, for some people, this is very active. They shake their fist in anger at God. They denounce him. They won't have anything to do with God. But for most of us, it's more passive than that. We're like the sheep. Mindless, really. I, I don't have anything against sheep particularly. I particularly like lamb and I don't mind wearing wool. But they are pretty stupid, you know, as, as creatures go. And that's what we're really... We're just mindless sheep, each just doing our own thing, just getting by day by day, just not thinking about it, just following our own desires, our own wants, our own wishes. But remember how we described this rebellion. That is, we all reject God as our ruler by running our own lives our own way. It's, it's not that I've rejected God as my ruler by murdering people. Maybe you have, but most likely you haven't. <laughs> most of us don't do that. It, it, it's not theft, it's not necessarily adultery, or it's just we do our own thing. We ignore God. But by just doing our own thing, by running myself, myself, inevitably, I am selfish. I'm choosing what pleases me. Well, sometimes I'm really nice to my neighbours because that makes me feel good. Not because my neighbours need me to do nice things for them, it's just I like thinking of myself as a nice person. I'm still being selfish. It's still self-centred. But it's in our self-centredness that we damage. <laughs> we damage ourselves. We damage each other. And we damage our world around about us. Because like sheep, we've gone astray each to his own way. But if that is a unpleasant way of thinking about ourselves, the next bit I want to say is much worse because what we don't like hearing is that God is angry with our rebellion against him. He's angry that we're damaging his world. He's angry that we're damaging each other. He's angry that we damage ourselves. He's angry that we've turned our back on him. <laughs> It is one of the rudest things to do, isn't it? Just to turn your back on someone. You know, I don't care about you. I don't love you. I don't, it's, if you want to be rude to someone, just turn your back on them. That's all you've got to do. It's as rude a thing as you can do, but that's what we've done to God. Just turned our back on him. And so God is angry. Wrath is the word that we use. It's an old... English word, which means angry. It's God's righteous anger. It's his wrath against the way we reject him and the way we damage ourselves and each other and his world. Do you remember Pol Pot? 
you know, the 20th century had such nasty, nasty people, didn't they? Mao Zedong, Joseph Stalin, Adolf Hitler, the list goes on and on, on Mussolini. There are a lot of very nasty rulers in the world, but Pol Pot's just one of them. He was in Cambodia. He was never caught, he was never tried, he was never punished. He died without justice ever coming his way, without any judgment of any court. But in the short years in which he ruled over Cambodia, he killed one-third of the population. Yeah, COVID-19 is nothing compared to Pol Pot. He's one of the great mass murderers of all time. Young men, young women, children, old people, nothing mattered, nobody mattered. He was a wicked, evil man. And it's right that we should be angered by his brutal mass murder. But that's the trouble with sinful people like you and me. I have to trot out Pol Pot before I'm actually angry with sin. God doesn't need Pol Pot to be angry with. But you don't have to worry about the Pol Pot. He missed out on any court in this world, but he still has to face the judge. There is justice. There will be justice. For he has to come before the true and righteous judge who made him and who is right to be angry with him. And if he's right to be angry with him, he's right to be angry with me and you. For remember the third point about God's judgment. God won't let us rebel. No, we go back one there, David. God won't let us rebel forever. We all reject God. No, we haven't got one on the judgment. I've failed. Go back again and get us another one, David. I love being able to talk to this man and see how he comes back to the sixth one, the overhead point. There we go. God won't let us rebel against him forever. God's punishment for rebellion is death. And then the judgment. That's what the Bible is teaching, you see. People are destined to die once. We don't keep dying. It's only once. But after death, we face judgment. And we want it. If you're a Cambodian, you'd want to know that Pol Pot got judgment, got justice. Because unless there is the justice of God, there is no justice in this world. But for the many of us who have been denied justice in this world, (coughs) in our lifetime, there is justice. There is the judgment of God. But I can't call upon the justice and the judgment of God without calling upon that Judgment and justice for me too. Something hypocritical about saying, well, God, punish him, but leave me alone. I've never done anything wrong. Well, that's not only hypocritical, it's not true. But unlike our anger and our wrath, which is often just temperamental, you know, we're tired and we have a hissy fit, like the Tasmanian senator did at the 
at the uh, Qantas desk. You know, she said, I had a bad week. I had a car accident and then I got a speeding fine and I had a, a week in Canberra and then and, and and then they wouldn't let me do what I wanted to do and so I yelled abuse at these people and that's just, that, that, that's temperamental anger, isn't it? God's not temperamental like that. Our anger is often stirred up by our massive self-centeredness. That's not God. God is angry with all unrighteousness, injustice, including yours and mine. And so God's wrath rests on us all. However, in his love, he has provided an alternative namely his own son, Jesus, who paid the penalty for us by dying in our place and rising victorious over death as our saviour and our judge. Which is what today's Bible text is speaking of. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. This is the choice to make. I'm down to point four now. This is the choice to make. Here is the rubber hitting the road now. To believe in the Son, which you'll see I've said is equal to trust. For it's not simply to believe the facts about the Son, but rather it's to believe in the Son. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. See, demons, the Bible says, believe about the Son, but they shudder because they don't believe in the Son, they just believe about him. We must more than believe, we must believe in, which is we must trust the Son. I trust my dentist. I trust my surgeon. I put my teeth into the dentist's hands. I put my life into the surgeon's hands. I went for a little operation the other day. They just knocked me out. I put my life into the anaesthetist's hands, didn't I? He pumped some stuff into me and then I didn't know where I was. I didn't know anything. They could have left me there. They could have killed me right there and then. I trusted them with my life. I believe in my anaesthetist. So we must trust Jesus. We must believe in Jesus. We must put our life and death in his hands. We must put God's judgment upon us into Jesus' hands. And choosing to believe in him, we obey the Son. You can't believe in him and not do what he wants you to do. And What he wants you to do is to repent. For his message consistently throughout the gospel is repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now repent means much more than just feel sorry. To repent is to turn around. To repent is to chuck a U-E, is to do a U-turn. I was going this direction and then, along with all the other sheep, my own way, And now I'm turning back and I'm going this direction. That's The repentance is the turning around. Sometimes you feel sorry beforehand. Sometimes you feel sorry afterwards. Sometimes you don't even feel sorry at all. You just change your mind. But repentance is 
Now I'm no longer going to go my way, I'm now going to go God's way. And whoever believes in the Son like that has eternal life. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever doesn't obey the Son shall not see life. It's not will have life in the future. It has life right now. When you die, are you going to heaven? Are you sure you're going to heaven? I am absolutely sure I am going to heaven. When you hear someone say that, it sounds terribly arrogant, doesn't it? It sounds like he's full of himself. He's so sure he's going to heaven. We're not sure we want to go to heaven if he's going to be there. You know what I mean? What's this? You can be sure you go to heaven. Well, as long as I believe in myself and my morality and my good life and my efforts, I will never be sure I'm going to heaven. But I'm not going there because of what I've done. What I've done means I'd go to hell. No, no, I'm sure that I'm going to heaven because of what Jesus has done already for me. It's already over. The judgment has already been because I believe in the Son and the Son has paid the penalty in full. And because he paid it in full, death couldn't hold him. He rose again from the grave. Jesus' victory over the grave meant that you can know now that you have eternal life. David, if we could go back to that that verse in in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 3, if we can get that uh, overhead up, David, it would be really helpful in the 1 Peter 1, 3, 1, you see, because there, see the bits in yellow? He has given us new birth. Not he will give us new birth, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't remain dead. He rises up and gives new life to people in the here and now, which gives us that certainty of eternity. Thank you, David. But this morning's text also shows us what happens if the choice is not made. So look at this text before us on the paper. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. It's quite clear what the Bible says here in this text. If we don't choose Jesus, we will not see life. But God's wrath remains upon us. You see, the decision not to choose Jesus is still a decision. It's like my decision not to drink orange juice. I remain thirsty. But of course, this is much, much more serious than an orange juice. It's a choice. It's a choice for not to choose is to choose. 
it's not doing nothing. It's actually choosing against Jesus. It's actually choosing against God's love that sent Jesus into the world to die for us. It's choosing God's wrath and judgment to come upon us. To not choose is to choose. But if you're under God's wrath, to not to choose is to choose God's wrath. But just you may say, well, Philip, I know you're going to propose that I should make that choice, but I'm not ready to make that choice. I still need... I've got to think about this. This is a big choice. You know, we've just met and now you're proposing marriage to me. I, mean, I need time to think about this. Yeah, that's right. It is serious like that. And if that's your sincere response, I respect you for it. But of course, that means you will actively search, doesn't it? You know, you'll... You'll ask to find out more. You'll talk to Joe about it later and say, can you give me some books and tell me information about it? Because if you're not, if you're not sincere, if it's just procrastination, not backed up by genuine action, then what you're doing is actually choosing against Jesus. Covering it up with, well, not today, you know, maybe some other time. And that's a very lazy excuse for a choice. And you don't even have the excuse of jet lag. You're just being lazy. But whatever you do, do not harden your heart. See, the psalm we read just a few moments ago, Psalm 95, it says, Today when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. I mean, look then at the example of Pontius Pilate we read. He knew Jesus was innocent but he wriggled and squirmed like the best of politicians. And Jesus told him that he's come to testify to the truth and what does Pontius Pilate say there? He knows the truth, but he can't face the truth. So what's he say? Oh, well, what is truth? You know, well, that's just your opinion. Well, you know, we none of us know anything The truth stood staring him in the face and he was still unwilling to see it. The more you harden your heart against God, the more you become hardened against God. Don't think for a moment that you can keep on choosing against Jesus and then one day down the track sometime when life's a bit simpler for you uh, that you'll be able to choose him. Because if you've had a lifetime of saying no, 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 then you've got a habit that will be impossible to break. Today, I'm bringing you God's word. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So let me show you how then to choose Jesus, how to believe in him for eternal life, how to obey his command to repent. It's by that prayer on the back of the sheet. The first part, I, 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 I'm going this way like everybody else. The second part, but thank you 
Thank you for your rescue operation in Jesus by his death and resurrection. So please forgive me for going that way and change me that I may go the way of Jesus. As I pray this prayer, I invite you to pray it along in the quietness of your own heart with me. And if this is your prayer, then God will indeed forgive you and change you. Let's pray. Dear God, I know that I'm not worthy to be accepted by you. I don't deserve your gift of eternal life. I'm guilty of rebelling against you and ignoring you. I need forgiveness. Thank you for sending your son to die for me that I may be forgiven. Thank you that he rose from the dead to give me new life. Please forgive me and change me that I may live with Jesus as my ruler. Amen. If that is your prayer, especially if this is your prayer for the first time, then when Joe comes and explains to us about this card, make sure you tick one of those boxes down there about interested in becoming a member or maybe even decided to follow Jesus today. Thanks, Joe.